We consider in our sermon this morning the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray with regard to our earthly needs. And he prays and he teaches us to pray, give us our daily bread. The catechism reminds us that this means that we would ask God to provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that he is the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also the gifts of God cannot do us any good without his blessing. Grant, therefore, we pray that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. That's a brief but profound explanation of what Jesus says when he says you're to pray for daily bread. We need wisdom, though, as I'm wrestling with these whole, these concepts of things and of the life from above. I found that this is not an easy prayer as we think it is to make, but it's so important that we do. So we need wisdom. We're going to go to the book of Proverbs for that. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 30. And the words of a mysterious man who utters a prayer in these words that he says. Proverbs 30, let's just read through verses 1 through 14. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ukal, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do not malign a servant to his master lest he curse you and you be found guilty. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes. It is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords, and his fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. As far as we'll read here, I want to focus on this prayer of Agur. 
for which he prays, which he prays in verses 7 through 9, and he's praying for two things that are closely related. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die, remove falsehood and lies far from me, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. <clears throat> the fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer has to do with bread It's a good thing it's there because we don't know what to do with bread, except eat it a little bit. But after that, not so easy. And even in that, in the partaking of food and a little bit of bread even, there's something about praying for it that reminds us that it's not just our masticating, that is, chewing and digesting in the mouth and then digesting, There's some spiritual component to it that seems to transcend our understanding of reality. And that's why we need to be told to pray and reminded and preached to about this prayer. We need wisdom, beloved. We live in a sea of things, all kinds of things, bread and water and wine and women and song and everything floating by in the stream. And it's like we're on a tightrope over the stream, seeking not to drink too much, certainly not to fall into the stream, lest we be taken up merely in the stream of life and things and forget who's above the stream and whom we worship. So we need wisdom. And we need wisdom from this prayer that Agur, this mysterious man, uttered, we don't know much about him, anything. And we do know, however, that his is the first and the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. Do you realize that? The first and the only prayer in which he prays for two things that have to do with things and have to do with him as a child of God. And he's urgent about it. He wants God to answer him before he dies, like now, so that he can be found trusting in God in the midst of all the things that he has or doesn't have, as long as he has his God. So may we be led to urgency and wisdom and a prayerfulness that sanctifies our walk among the things. So let's consider our prayer for Agur's portion. And first of all, what that portion is and then how we pray for it and what we are to expect then when we make this prayer. Physical bread. We pray for physical, earthly bread. Rye, white, wheat, sourdough, you know it. Not spiritual bread. There's some who've been mistaken here. And in the name of being spiritual... Then they say, Jesus, when he's saying, pray for bread, after he's prayed, your kingdom come, it will be done, earth as it is in heaven, is not going to drop down to this earth and be so mundane and ordinary and common as to have us be concerned with bread. So 
It's been somewhat popular among maybe monastics who think so little of this world that they think it means that they are to be ascetic and that religion is all about denying things to themselves in the name of holiness. They've, they've said this has got to be spiritual bread. Maybe it's the sacramental bread. Maybe that's what they're praying for. Jesus is saying, give us this day the sacrament, maybe the mass, something that makes it holier than it is, than leaven is, and flour and salt and an egg. After all, Jesus is our bread, isn't he? Maybe that's what he's saying. Give us this day our daily Jesus. That would make it spiritual, wouldn't it? Actually not. But it could be that this is, has to be spiritual bread because we're told elsewhere to seek the things above, not the things below. Seek the things that are in heaven, and there's not bread in heaven, is there? Not like our bread. So how can this be? And is it physical bread? And yes, it is. That's what we know. It's physical bread. The the word is bread. And God is reminding us in the prayer that his son gave that we are to be concerned for earthly bread and that he give it to us. Not just the bread, but that God give it to us. Agar was long ago. He's obviously speaking about earthly things when he speaks of poverty and riches and asks that God would feed him with the food allotted to him, or which is his portion. He's obviously clearly concerned about physical bread. And we are therefore led by the text in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount and by Agur's prayer, the only prayer in the book of Proverbs, to have something to do with bread that, that is real bread, but there's a spiritualness and attitude about it that somehow sanctifies the bread for our good use in this life and so that we might be godly. Indeed, we need the exhortation don't be overmuch concerned about bread, and we'll see that. And those verses that we read seek the things above and not the things below, and Jesus is our bread, and we could list off uh, a dozen others that remind us that there's a balance. But bread is important. Of course, we, couldn't, we wouldn't be here. We need food. And we think we need three meals a day and and so on, but we need bread. But there's some spiritual component to it, that is, to our praying for it, that's so important. But stick to that first. We need bread. And bread, really, is not just bread. We know that. Bread refers to all our physical needs. Well, how do you know that? Maybe it's true that we're just to pray for bread and not jam, and not butter, certainly not caviar. Maybe just bread. Maybe that's all we should eat, not only, but we should pray just 
with regard to bread. Anything else is, is, is no-no. Well, it's not true either. Can't be. God gives all kinds of gifts, 1 Timothy 4, to deny all kinds of stuff to yourselves, even stuff that's not necessary, is, is wrong. That's right out of hell, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4. Like marriage, denying marriage in the name of holiness, that's wrong too. And so denying two pieces of bread or steak once in a while, maybe more than that, is not in itself biblical and holy. So it means bread, but it means all kinds of things. Note Agur says, feed me with food convenient for me, that is allotted to me, like the portion that the priests were allotted, same word there, that portion that God has determined and that that's for my earthly use here, doesn't go into specifics. We're not, beloved, though, monks, and we're not to be monkish here. There's a a prayer here for staples, needs. That's the idea. Bread, what else would that be? Food and water and other liquids. That would be clothing. That would be shelter. All your needs. And we are to pray with regard to all our needs, therefore. That's the important thing here. And then you pray for bread that is daily bread. Bread for every day, not beyond that. And that's the idea. You pray for just the needs. Just the needs. God takes care of the rest. You pray for just the needs. And just for this day. Doesn't mean, of course, that you uh, never save up. Later on in Proverbs, speaks of the ants who save up for the winter. And we can learn from the beast. Yeah. God's teaching us that we need uh, to save up for today, but hard times are coming, and they do come, and we have to be ready for that. Not here launching a sermon against insurance policies even. There's all kinds of traps any way you go, but just stick with the bread, not a huge stockpile, and not a huge stockpile that even the ones who are preaching that there's Armageddon coming are that you should have. Maybe something of that's wise, and maybe you should have oh, half a year's worth, and maybe someone would say, hey, we got to be ready for Armageddon. We got to, got to build some redoubt somewhere in Arkansas. Maybe we should all go together in the barbed wire, whatever. Daily bread, just your needs, just for the day, so we're focused. And so that we're God's people with our bread. And that is the second point of this main point, our portion in our daily bread. Notice that Jesus leads into the the plural here. Give us this day our daily bread. We're concerned for everybody. It's our portion as believers Now, there's something here. We're led into the spiritualness of it. We came here, after all, to preach Christ crucified and to know him as we respond to this. But you know what bread is, beloved? Bread is a gift. That's why we're praying that God would give it and that God would give it 
for our good. But it's a gift that's earned from the cross. It's not like we earn our bread. That's the world viewpoint. God earns our bread. This kind of bread, this bread given in answer to prayer. You think, for example, of Romans 8 and 32. The Bible says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? All things. And that's just below Romans 8, 28. All things work together for a good, for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. A gift of the cross is bread. Earthly beings without God really have no right to bread. They have no right to They have no right to this life, but Jesus paid for our sins, died for his body and soul, and died so that we can have the right to his life and participation in it and to his bread. The bread of him who made the worlds, who made the fields, who gives the increase. That's how we're praying here. That's why we know this is sanctified prayer and a good thing to pray for. I wonder how often we do that. Really pray for bread. It's, it's hard, I think. Here I have set before me something that's going to go in my mouth, and you do. And yet, pray for this right there. We, we already have it. Why? Isn't that... Saying something obvious, God has given us the bread. Why do we pray? Why should we pay, pray regularly before we eat and drink? I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but as a great pattern for individuals and parents to lead their families in, to remind with an object lesson, we need God before we need bread. But why do we do that? Well, beloved, because we're acknowledging we don't have the right to it. And we're acknowledging, too, that without the blessing of God, of life, we eat and we drink and we die. The food doesn't help us. We like to say, well, the digestive system helps you. The throat down which the food helps you, and the stomach, and the small and the large intestine, and every part of you helps. Well, yes, but only with God's help. That's why we pray for it, for these simple things of life, these little things, these necessary things. We have to remember God is in the picture or he's not, and then we have no right to these things which we're just taking and using for ourselves. The is because we have Jesus in mind and that he earned for us even this bread. Our prayer is that we can love God with the bread. That's the portion we receive, a portion to love God with. That's the idea. That's exactly what Agur's saying. Agur's saying it with rather desperation. Uh, we don't know, maybe he was on hospice and... All of that, I speak as a fool, 
and he was praying this, uh, these, this prayer, this twofold prayer with regard to bread, saying, Lord, just before I die, or if I'm going to die tonight, let me have my last breath and my last bit of food or a cup of wine with you in mind and not with me in mind. It's the idea of this prayer. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food apportioned to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steep and profane the name of God. You see, this guy, Agur, this mysterious man, whose prayer is not copyrighted and therefore we get to pray it, was concerned with things. Concerned however, first with God. And concern, therefore, that in the midst of things he be a man of integrity. Things he was aware of, they take away, they tempt him to be taken away, swept away as in a mighty stream by the Niagara Falls into destruction. Things. And the problem is not the things, the problem is himself who is attracted over much to them or desperate about them. So he speaks of two extremes because his one request with regard to these things is that he be a man of integrity. Two things I request of you. The first one is I be true, a man of truth. Remove falsehood and lies from me. May there be none of those spiritual wickednesses in me. May I not be a vain man, a vain woman, a vain young person, a liar, a deceiver, a vain preacher, an empty elder, a hypocrite of a deacon, or anyone else. I want to be pure because I love God. And to do that, I have to do with those things, Lord. You, please, please help them, help me in them. I don't want to be in this state, poverty, or riches. I don't want to be in abject pottery, pottery lest I be tempted to steal and then maybe lie before the judge and take the name of God in vain. That may be the reason why he says that. He doesn't want to take the name of God in vain. Or maybe it's simply if he's stealing, he's taking the name of God in vain by proving to everybody that God doesn't care if that were possible. But then on the other hand, he says, don't, Lord, don't lead me into riches, at least riches over much, because in that situation, I would just become worldly. And I would love the things rather than the giver of the things, and I would worship the things, and I'd be led around as a, a, a swine by his nose, by the things. And I would serve them and not God. That's the idea here. Here's a man wrestling with things. Here's a wise man who prays the one prayer of all Proverbs. Lord, I want you in the things. You in the things. Or I'm worse than vanity. I'll never be satisfied. Never, never, never. 
If I'm poor, I want $1 more. If I'm a billionaire, I want $1 billion more. Never happy. Never happy. So, what do you think our problem is, beloved? I know what yours is not. Poverty. We're all rich. Compared to everybody else, we're all rich. Of course, the temptation of those who are in real poverty is upon us and around us at every side. We want to steal. We want to covet. We want to grab. We want more. But our real problem is riches. Rich Christians, we have so much. Too much. People, missionary was ministering to tribesmen somewhere, and they had anything. He said, I'll be praying for you in your poverty. And the tribesmen looked up and said, I'll be praying for you in your riches. Good thing the man was praying for the rich man. That's our problem. Beloved, do we wade through this then? How, how do we live? Just some points that we might be led to Jesus. And that's my first point on the how, how to pray this, how to pray for daily bread. Yes, it is. We pray for daily Jesus in the bread. Beloved, is, is Christ your life? Is he my life? Sometimes I wonder. Is Christ's kingdom for which we just prayed and his will being done, is, is that primary? Is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness the first thing in the midst of the things? I wonder. Striking that Agar himself seems to allude to a certain one who would truly be the wisdom of God with regard to this. Proverbs 30, verse 4. You notice that? He says he's stupid, more on that presently, but he's not so stupid when he asks, who has ascended into heaven or descended, who's gathered the wind in his fists, who's bound the waters in a garment, who has established the ends of the earth. What is his name? What is his son's name? If you know... And I believe, beloved, that this is something that Jesus was alluding to when he was teaching the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, of the spiritual life. Most assuredly, John 3, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness if I have told you earthly things like a bread and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven. Go back to Proverbs. But he who came down descended from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who's in heaven. There's something here of the wisdom of God who is Christ, even in this Proverbs, in this mysterious Melchizedek of a man, high priest, 
of prayer in Proverbs. How do you understand all things, not just your things right in front of you on your plate, or the things that you desire that the neighbor has, or the things from which you're seeking to be free? You've got to know Jesus in the things and love Jesus more than the things as everything to you. Like Paul, to me, to live is uh, Christ and to die is gain. Even while you're eating your sandwich and drinking your beer, Christ, everything. Surely that's the answer then, how we pray. Lord, give me this day my daily bread and and give it to us, your people. This is our bread. It's the manna from heaven, after all, given daily to the Jews and a double portion the day before the Sabbath. Christ and his kingdom. After all, whatever we have, we're we're praying for the glory of the kingdom to be known in the service of the kingdom. One of the great things that marks this congregation is a generosity to the cause of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged. This is a great blessing. We have givers here. We have those who care for the kingdom. doesn't matter what happens elsewise. If the kingdom, Lord, or if the kingdom beloved be that which we're not concerned with, let's just go home with that thing. Because you want to hear Christ and to preach Christ and to be known as Christians here, and your children and children's children, and you send them to catechism, and you, you love the Bible studies, and you, and you love all of the instruction you can receive as much as you can participate in these things because you live together and you receive bread together not only, but Christ together, a foretaste of the marriage feast of Jesus and the Lamb and beloved in the marriage feast. It's not just about rye bread. Some of us hope that it's not at all about rye bread, but it's a feast in heaven. So Christ-like virtues, right? And here's one that's not flattering. You got to be his agger. How to keep himself in that he's desperate before I die. Oh, once can I have the things right? Put away the habits. The thing that's not flattering, you got to confess with Agar, surely I'm stupid. I like those words. God's words. Foolish would be the more polite word, I suppose. Opposite of wisdom. Stupid's a good one. You know when you're stupid. Actually, the psalmist says he, or the, the proverbist says he's stupid all the time. I am more stupid than any man. He's even like a beast. I do not have the understanding of a man. 
And I'm a godless person in myself. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. You see, he's grasping here. He sees stuff, and you see stuff, and I receive stuff. We receive lots of stuff. It's all about stuff and magazines and picking up the, the, the mess and arranging stuff and planning our lives around stuff so we can have more. And how many of us, I think, are hooked as in bondage to that prospect of retirement. You've got to have so much stored away. You've got to do this and this and that, and here's your 401k now, and this is how you should spend your investments now. And you know what? It's a fool who doesn't concern himself about that. But we're stupid when this hooks us. You see, it's not even the present things that bother us. It's the future things, the problem of the future And how am I going to live? Yeah. Yeah. Well, confessing stupidity may not be the only thing. Because God is not stupid. He's wise. And he leads you to this. And this is part of the blessing of, of reading the Bible. We're led to read not only that, but the next verses. It's about Christ, who's come down and who goes up and who's on a cross for us. And he dies for our sins and our stupidities and our addictions. He dies for things like that and people like you and people like I am because he's God. So he works in us faith. No faith in self, faith in God. No faith, I'm a strong man, Got a lot of strong men around here. It's amazing. You can pick me up with one hand. But your strength doesn't save you nor provide for you. We're all on our knees praying, the strong and the weak, the one with a few talents, the one with... We're all praying. God levels the playing field by leveling the praying field. We're all praying, depending, depending. This is what unites us, beloved. It's not personality. It's not that we're Dutch and Italian or whatever we are together. We're on our knees together. So we believe, and you believe beyond the things. That's what faith does. It says it's the evidence of things hoped for and the substance, uh, evidence of things not seen, the, the substance of things hoped for, however that goes. We're led to higher things and things higher that are right in the middle of us. Right in the middle of the things, right in the middle of the, the difficulties with things and managing them or not having many of them. So we pray. But then, of course, Jesus doesn't mean here when you pray, you just wait and let daily bread fall from the sky. That's Old Testament when they need that. And they had nothing in the wilderness. We are meant to... Uh, et labora, to pray and to work and to use whatever other means it is to receive our daily bread from God. In answer to prayer, yes, pray and keep your powder dry. 
Pray and go to work, even though you don't want to show up. Pray even if you have a little sniffle and you don't get anybody else sick, maybe you have to work. Pray and do your job. Pray and get up, even if it looks like you shouldn't clean the house or you don't think you should clean the house, maybe you should, even if you don't feel like. Pray and carry on in the duties of life. This is life. But you see, prayer makes that a good thing because you're doing something on behalf of God and receiving in the way that he, he would have you receive. To work responsibility. And the young people, you got to get a job. If too much time, now, this is part of the affluent problem of America. Too much time on our hands. Way too much time on our hands and too much money on our hands. What are we going to do next? And you go right to the telephone. No, whatever that's called, the iPhone. Right to the gizmo, right to the gadget. For entertainment, not prayer, not edification, filling the time. We are bored again and again and again. And you see, it's not just, uh, you see, I'm wrestling with this. It's not just that we should look for a calling and then it would be significant. Oh, beloved, got that all wrong. We do. It's Finding the calling in what you're doing now. You don't make it something, a calling, and sacrifice something because it's some exceptional career. You all got to be ministers. We all got to be missionaries. We all got to be teachers. We all got to be whatever that people say is significant. No. What you're doing is significant. If you're praying about it, receiving it from the Lord, that's what makes all the difference. It's a grace gift that makes your, you say, tedious factory job a holy place for a holy child of God who will not deny God on the job, but who will affirm him with language and whatever else. I'm leaving the narrow path of the sermon I know. But you see, there's the tightrope, isn't there? There we are walking, and or maybe somebody's pushing us, we think, and we're in a wheelbarrow over the Niagara Falls, and there's the stream, the Niagara River, and there's the falls and the cataract and death, certain death, about these things. Trust in God and work and then receive, beloved, receive from his hand and show that you receive really from his hand and that you don't deserve it by giving. See, this isn't a selfish prayer. How terrible that would be. Give, give me this day my daily bread. And even if it's just daily bread, we can be selfish. We just got a little. I'm a widow. I just have a mite. And we don't give. That's what you're supposed to do with bread. All that you have, all that you receive in answer to prayer, you give to God's cause, God's kingdom, God's church, God's people, to the poor, to the ones who need. That's money. But there's time, and there's yourself, and all your talents, these things we give to. 
A lot of this is waiting. A lot of this requires a lot of waiting, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. We don't think that looks like something that's edible. Well, that's enough. Not enough spice in our life. Isn't that amazing? We got all this bread and a whole cupboard full of spices. I don't know about you, but things we haven't used in years, maybe. All these things. How do we wade through this? Well, one thing, and this is the final point. One thing we should know is that God will answer this prayer. He gives good things with grace. He will. The wicked, however, who don't pray about this, they may receive good things, but not grace. They may receive a lot of good things, but never grace. They are cursed in their houses, the proverb says in Proverbs 3. Cursed is the house of the wicked. The house, the home, the daily bread of the wicked. And even though the stream of humanity has all these good things, they're going down the river in their abuse of them. But the righteous receive a good portion, blessings. Oh, yes, dollar bills, lots of them, and cars and whatever else you need to get around in in all these things. You, You know that. You know that. But I want to point out to you even a great investment, Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 28. Peter began to say to Jesus, see, we've left all and followed you. So he's saying, we've, we've left, we've denied ourselves, even necessities maybe. All, we've left all. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or lands for my sake in the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and last first. Now what am I trying to get at here? If you're praying for daily bread and denying to yourself all the riches that the world wants and the great jobs, even though it desecrates the Lord's day and gives you um, the freedom to do what you want, even though that's the case and that you're persecuted because you're being simply for Jesus, nevertheless, you will be blessed in this life. And Jesus, he piles up the blessings of children and land and, and he says, and for now, and he says it's even 10,000% on your investment. Hundredfold now. Do you believe, Jesus? Do you believe that the one thing that has to do with earthly things for which he pray, says we are to pray in the Lord's prayer makes you a king? If you believe it and pray it and receive from his hand, do you believe that? Jesus says so. And he says even, the future is even brighter and greater. So now, just daily bread. Now it's just food that you use to serve God by. That's it. So you're simply and plainly, wonderfully, and I'm looking at you, a child of God.
a faithful child of God. Before you die, beloved, right now, this prayer, this prayer, blessings of bread and grace and grace and bread and in everything, Jesus. Amen. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we have declared a few words of your wonderful prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. May we be more more diligent in this, more faithful with regard to all these things. God, we pray to know you in the midst of all the things or in the midst of nothing, just so we can know you and our children and our church and the ministry of the word of God everywhere and among God's people everywhere. May we be a for daily Agar's portion bread people. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.